What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. It's a midweek edition here. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me to break things down, all avalanche-related, Arif Dean, and of course, Patrick Stedman on the controls. Arif, it's not looking like a pretty start to the season. I mean, let's call it what it is. The avalanche kind of look like hell. Um, they're having a hard time stringing together some passes, having a hard time breaking it out of their own zone and, and in the defensive zone. Things are looking grim. How are you? But how are you? <laughs> I, I I'm I'm fine. I think the I think the I'm doing a heck of a lot better than the Avalanche are right now. I'll tell you that much. They uh, they haven't found their stride. Uh, they looked good opening night, but let's not pretend it wasn't that they looked good for the first seven or eight minutes of opening night, and then Kemper saved their bacon. Uh, and ever since that three to nothing lead against Chicago. They haven't really done much of anything. Uh, is it too early to be completely concerned? Yes, uh, but it's at least worth noting that the Avalanche don't look too hot and they're about to play two very good teams, one of which is undefeated. Absolutely. I don't want to be a pessimist and say, oh man, the season's over because of course we still haven't even seen a full team and a full lineup in action. So we got to wait till that actually happens before we start pushing the panic button. But plenty of bad things, I guess, to get into. Uh, I guess let's start with what we were most excited about, right? And that's Nathan McKinnon getting back in the lineup. Uh, and it looked like he missed a good amount of time there too. I mean, he was kind of ineffective. I mean, he got some shots on goal. I think he ended the game with three. Uh, I only know that because the over-under was four and a half. And uh, yeah, I, I would say you'd like to see McKinnon be a little bit more uh, of a threat there offensively. I mean, granted, uh, it's still his first game back. He missed some good amount of time. He's kind of trying to get his legs under him, I'm sure. But at one point, I think it was maybe the fifth, fourth or fifth goal, you saw him frustrated again and you saw him with that bad body language and he I think he was sitting in the net right after trying to make a little glove save of his own and he just sat there stared at the ground just like what the hell so he's feeling some frustration already and I, I just you know again I'd like to see a little bit more out of him for his first game back yeah he was a minus five uh, and he wasn't the only one. A lot of the top guys were minus a hell of a lot, but uh, he only had three shots. He didn't look too well. Obviously, like you said, he had those three shots and uh, they they just don't look good right now. It looks like the depth guys are the guys picking up the slack. We talked a lot about JT Comfer having a pretty good game. Bo Byram's got three points already more than he had all of last season in the 19 games he played. Uh, Logan O'Connor has been fun to watch. Darren Helm has been a little speedster. Tyson Jost has been doing kind of well. Not the best yesterday, but pretty well all season. Um, Kadri started hot and then cooled off. And then you have McKinnon, who was a minus five in one game. You have Rantanen, who was a minus five yesterday, finally scored his first goal when it was too little too late. Berkey, who was a minus four. Kel McCarr, we need to talk about how rough of a start he's had to the season. He was also a minus five and, a minus five, and Sam Gerrard was a minus three. Uh, plus minuses and everything, but when it's the numbers that are that big, obviously there was an empty net goal that you know played a part in that, but when the numbers are that big, there is an issue. And uh, for Nathan McKinnon, it's literally, you have to chalk it up as nothing but a forgettable debut. He's got to erase that one from his brain, not get frustrated, not do the McKinnon thing you were talking about where he just gets super in his head over the smallest things like that move on and understand you are a far better player than that and you just have to forget everything that happened in Washington. I'm just wondering what you can really point the slow start to because, yeah, I know that they're missing a ton of guys out of the lineup, but 
like you said, guys like Makar, is he actually at 100%? Because it's not looking like it. He's he's struggling. And now that he's paired with Gerard, at least he was for a lot of the times uh, yesterday, that was just kind of a, a tough pairing so far. So obviously, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to point fingers at Jared Bednar and said he had a lackadaisical camp or anything, but there's got to be a reason here for this team coming out of the gate so weak. I mean, it's it's just a head scratcher. It's it's a bit frustrating to watch, especially because a lot of the things that they're doing are sloppy, careless mistakes. It's not like they're just not good at hockey and getting beat by the other teams. They're they're beating themselves here. Yeah, so it's it's as simple as this. For starters, let's just mention that it's great that we're back to an 82-game regular season because it is going to be a marathon. Uh, the Avalanche started the season last year, January 13th, and it ended before June 13th. So in a six-month period, they started the season, went through a 56-game regular season, won the first round, lost in the second round, watched Vegas versus Montreal. That all happened in a six-month period right now, uh, last year. In a six-month period now, between now and six months from now, we're still going to be in the regular season. So it is going to be a marathon, and that's good because it, it. the way I look at it is Nathan McKinnon missed the week because of COVID, didn't get to skate with the team. He didn't play a lot of preseason games, if you remember. He took a couple games off, and then he came in. He obviously had that last game where him and Miko played well. Boom, COVID. Gabe Landeskog has a great uh, debut for the uh, for this home opener. Boom, two-game suspension. Kale McCarr misses the entire preseason, doesn't play, was in a red jersey for most of it, comes in, starts the season, boom, slow start. Darcy Kemper, new goalie in town. Strong game, first game. Bad game against the Blues. Even worse against the Capitals, well, in, in some parts of it. And boom, that's your starting goalie. Backup goalie, Pavel Francouz, he's not there to take off the slack. So now suddenly, are you going to start Jonas Johansson against either the Florida Panthers or the Tampa Bay Lightning? Um, I don't think you want to. You kind of hope that Tampa's going to say, oh, Colorado's coming from the other side. We'll start Brian Elliott. Then you can be like, all right, at least we'll do a battle of the backups or something. But otherwise, you're stuck a little bit over there. Kale McCarr, by the way, there was a picture somebody posted on Twitter of during one of the uh, between the whistle plays, they showed us a shot of the bench and his wrist was completely wrapped up. It was completely wrapped up. He had his glove off. He was grabbing a water bottle and he had tape all over his wrist and hand. So there's something going on there. God knows what that is. But it's just been a lot of. Oh, and speaking of McCarr, the guy that he played most of last season with, Devon Taves. Hasn't seen a minute of ice time yet. Is still in a red jersey. So like there are so many parts that are just not been consistent enough yet where you're going to need a couple of weeks to just kind of get the band back together and get everything going. But you got, you kind of want to make sure that you don't coast too much through this because you don't want to be like the 2019-20 Dallas Stars where you start the season 0-7 and, and then need to go on like a miraculous run to be one of the better teams by March. You want to kind of be like if the Avalanche are like at a 5-5 five and five record in their first 10 games and then they start to catch their rhythm, that's a little bit more accepting than if you're like the Blackhawks right now who are already 0-3-1 and and reeling. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the saving grace, right, is that you know that this team eventually is going to go on a tear where they win five of six or they, you know, they win four in a row here and there and and that's going to be scattered throughout the season. So far too early to really be worried. But yeah, a lot of the early season stuff is just, you know, again, a head scratcher like K.O. McCarr. It's not even a wrist thing. I mean, sure, that might be something that's bugging him. But to me, it's almost an, an effort thing that I'm not seeing out of him. I mean, I think there was a three on one at one point yesterday where Sam Gerrard is the only guy by himself. And I don't even think the second, third or fourth guy back was K.O. McCarr. I think he was the last guy back to get in the zone. So and, and you know, he was even standing up 
completely straight like his battery on his xbox controller died right so i i don't know i I like to see more out of mccarr and i'd like to see more out of mckinnon because without those two guys buzzing this team really you know and not to say it doesn't have a shot because you're you're getting carried by some depth guys here but i mean obviously with those two do buzzing you're a a force to be reckoned with yeah and again it goes back to the fact that kel mccarr's just got to get up to speed I mean, it, it, it doesn't do much for you to spend the entire training camp being in a red non-contact jersey and then coming in and playing 22, 26, 22 minutes a game. Like, that's not that's not going to do enough for you. Not everybody can be Miko Rantanen where he held out of his contract and then signed the deal <laughs> like two nights before opening night, comes in and scores four goals in his first two games, just casually ho-hum. Like, not everybody can do that. So these things will happen. And then obviously for McKinnon, I'll start to get concerned with McKinnon if it becomes more than one game. Everybody has a bad game, and McKinnon just had a terrible game. Like, I'm not even going to understate how bad of a game he had. But uh, I'm not going to be too concerned with him yet. Kale McCarr, yeah, a little bit. Like, it's it's been three games now, and he's not looking his best. He's just not looking like he's generating much. He's not engaged. I mean, if Gidney Kuznetsov split the D yesterday, and it was Ryan Murray and Kale McCarr, and he made it look easy to make it one nothing. So mm-hmm. things like that can't happen when that's your top defenseman. Obviously, having Devon Taves will help him a lot. But if you're Kale and you want to be one of the better defensemen in the NHL, Devon Taves isn't going to shelter you. You are going to shelter who you play with. So it's got to be the other way around. I know he's still young, but he's not getting paid like that anymore. So for Kale, you want him to be better. For Nate, you want him to be better. and You expect he will. For Miko, you hope he picks it up. Gabe Landeskog coming back again. Let's go back to the offseason, the conversation we were having there. That dude is way too important to this team to not be in that locker room. Like you can replace the game Gabe Landeskog plays with somebody who plays like him, like let's say Zach Hyman, who is a hell of a player and is doing great in Edmonton. But the leadership and and the control Gabe Landeskog brings to that bench uh, cannot be understated. It cannot be undervalued. It's it's something that this team needs. And for him to take that suspension was just completely stupid, to be honest with you. But to get him back is going to help immensely as well. Right. I mean, it almost looks like the Avalanche are kind of using the Landeskog thing as an excuse and just waiting for him to get back in the lineup and say, oh, without our top line being fully intact, we don't really have a shot anyway, so we're just going to come out here and go through the motions. I I mean, again, I don't want to sound like I'm panicking through two losses, but that's just kind of what I was seeing in that loss against Washington. I didn't like the body language. It's like Jared Bednar always says, right? He's always saying, oh, I didn't like the start. I didn't like this. Well, I just simply didn't like it. Not bashing the team, not saying anything needs to be um, you know, blown up or they need to make drastic moves here or there. I just think uh, I'm just not liking what I'm seeing so far. But um, as you were mentioning, Devon Taves is going to be a key piece to that, not only to Kale McCarr's game, but to the whole defensive core, right? Because then you can kind of readjust the pairings a little bit and make things a little bit more comfortable and suit each player's needs rather than just kind of going with what you're forced to use. So what's the latest on Devon Taves? When can we expect him to be back in the lineup? Uh, The Avalanche took Wednesday off. They flew from uh, Washington, D.C. to Fort Lauderdale on Tuesday because they obviously take on the Panthers on Thursday, which is when most of you are going to be listening to this. Uh, They took the day off Wednesday. Devon Taves participated in morning skate Tuesday. Obviously, I was not in D.C., but he participated in a red jersey. Uh, And we'll see what he does Thursday. By the time you guys listen to this, you probably already know what Devon has done. But at this point... He is with the team because there is a chance that he could play on this road trip, but there's only two games left. There's Thursday and there's Saturday. So if he's not going against Florida, you would expect he's going against Tampa. Otherwise, he was just with the team uh, just for the purpose of skating, not necessarily playing, which you're hoping isn't the case. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just a matter of this team getting their guys all in and ready to go. 
And uh, let's go back to the conversation that we had with Greg Wyshynski. When the Avalanche brought in uh, Philip Grubauer, he did not have a great start to his Avalanche career. He did not look good until like six months in. And I kind of warned, if that happens with Darcy Kemper, you need to be able to rely on Pavel Francouz. Well, it's happening to Darcy, but Pavel's nowhere to be seen, obviously, for the next few weeks. So there's a little bit of an issue there. Do you play Jonas Johansson? Do you wait for Pavel? Do you let Darcy work through whatever's going on? And to be honest with you, I can't even completely blame Darcy because he looked good against uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. The St. Louis Blues game, I mean, like we mentioned last episode, was if there was ever a game to mark as like an automatic loss, it was that given all of the roster restrictions this team had. And then yesterday, he didn't look terrible, but he didn't look too good. But on the other side of it, the defense was brutal. The amount of odd man rushes the Capitals had and the amount of individual breakaways and things like that that they had was just like, if you're Darcy, you're like, come on, dude, I I left Arizona for this reason. What are you doing? So it's really hard to pin it on him. I would expect the Avalanche are just going to let him work through it, especially given like we've been talking about the schedule and how kind of uh, it, it works in their favor in terms of the amount of games off. But there's just a lot there that needs to kind of figure itself out. And it's going to come with time. It started with McKinnon coming back. It's going to continue with Landis Gog returning. Then Devon Taves, Darcy Kemper finding his ground, Pavel Francouz getting healthy, and Nichushkin jumping in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, you just want to make sure that by the time you're up and running, you're not one, eight and one chasing the ball. You are, you know, four and six or five and five or even six and four. Like you have a decent record where you're still middle of the pack so that when you do that avalanche thing of winning like 10 of 11 games, uh, it actually does something for you in the standings. Let's dive into Kemper a little bit more because I think for avalanche fans, that's kind of the item that's causing the most concern right now because I'm with you. It's hard to pin it on him. There's been a lot of bad defensive plays. There's been some power play mix ups and at the same time, I'm I'm just simply not sold in what I've seen with him so far. I mean, we saw Darcy Kemper that would just rob the Avalanche of wide open goals and and would take over games, and we haven't seen that Darcy Kemper in an Avalanche sweater yet. So I, I'm still waiting to see if this acquisition was worth what we were sold it to be worth. I mean, I was one of the ones doing the selling, right? I loved RC Kemper and I loved the acquisition, but part of me, and I like the guy too, right? He's a super nice guy, but man, here in Avalanche land, we've been so spoiled with Patrick Waugh that you kind of want a guy to to not be so nice. You kind of want a guy with some attitude, some snarl to him and, and saying, yeah, I'm here to take this freaking net over. Be careful what you wish for, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I'm, I'm still not sold on the guy. I, I was sold on him a month ago, but now he, he's got more to prove. Well, I mean, absolutely. His numbers ultimately decide if he has something to prove. And right now he's got an 890 safe percentage. So yes, he's got something to prove. But again, the, the, the thing with, I mean, for starters, we did see that Darcy, we saw him against the Blackhawks. I know one of those two goals he probably wanted back, but he made some killer saves in that second period. And then the team unraveled with the Landeskog suspension and the Nachushkin injury and playing a game short. And he just never recovered from that. So does he look good? No, he doesn't. Am I concerned yet? No. And that's just kind of the general vibe I have about the team right now. 
there's a lot going on right now. If we get seven or eight games in the season, Miko Rantanen's got one goal and three assists. Kale McCarr is a minus 10 with like four points in, in, in eight games. And uh, Nathan McKinnon is has one goal and two assists. And Darcy Kemper is hovering around, you know, Martin Jones numbers or, or Carter Hart from last year numbers. Uh, that's funny that that's Philly's tandem now. Uh, like if, if that's where we're at seven or eight games into the season, yeah, that's an issue, but not yet. But I do get your point. Darcy hasn't proven it yet, but I mean, dude, it, it takes a lot for a goalie to kind of get ready and, and, and get acclimated to a new place. Like not everybody's going to be speaking of Patrick Waugh, trade it to a team and lead them to a Stanley cup like halfway through the season that barely happens anymore. Dwayne Rollison did something like that with the Oilers almost and then got injured in the cup final. But you don't often see that. You don't often see teams bring in goalies halfway through seasons. You don't often see Stanley Cup contenders go into a new season with a new goalie like the Avalanche are. It's just not something that you do because it's hard to get them up to speed. I mean, look at what Grubauer is doing in Seattle. Not much of anything. So it's going to take a little bit of time. But the problem is when Gruby came in, Varlamov sheltered him and was able to kind of carry the load until Gruby was ready to go. Even though, like you've mentioned before, Varley didn't look that too good that season either. That's why the Avs almost missed the playoffs. When the Avalanche bought Kemper in, they were hoping Pavel could do the same thing. And so far, that's not the case because Francis is hurt. So we'll see what happens when Frankie gets healthy. But all you want from Darcy is by the time it comes to November, December, um, he's up and running. And uh, you're you're hoping that's the case leading into the playoffs. Uh, and not just into the playoffs, into the fact that there's a hell of a lot of pressure on Darcy right now because there's an Olympic conversation to be had with him too. Uh, yeah, I'd like to buy into your thought process. I really would. And I was last podcast, right, when I was saying, you know, you're really grateful right now that a lot of the things going on aren't serious injuries. There's small, obscure things like COVID and a suspension, what have you. Looking back at the last two seasons, there's been a lot going on with this roster. There's been guys in and out over and over and over. So, I mean, obviously you'd like to hope for the best and fingers crossed that you're right. Things kind of resurrect themselves and everything kind of goes back to normal for the avalanche. But it's hard to really say that with confidence and to think that you're not going to still be dealing with these same kind of issues a month, two months, three months down the road. All right. So, uh, Patrick, you weren't around for this, but JJ, let's go back nine months to January of 2020. The Avalanche lay a goose egg opening night. Then they come out and blast the Blues for an 8-0 victory. Then they barely beat the Kings 3-2. Then they lose to the Kings 4-2. Then they beat the Ducks for uh, 3-2. Then they lose to the Ducks 3-1. They have a 3-3 three three record after six games. After spending four of those games playing against two very bad teams in LA and Anaheim and a St. Louis team that didn't prove to be that good in 2020. Or sorry, in 2021. We sat here and recorded a podcast and you said this team ain't it. They're not looking good. It's a 56-game season. They got to get their shit together. They got to look well. They got to pick it up. Well, they ended up winning the next three games. They ended up going on a little bit of more droughts. They won a seven games in a row in, in uh, March. They won another seven games in a row in April. They won the President's Trophy, and they did it by winning their last five games and their first six playoff games, an 11-game winning streak. It's okay. <laughs> That's basically what I'm getting at. It's the sky's not falling yet. If you're a team like the Avalanche that just came off a president's trophy, the sky is not falling yet. If you're a team like the Blackhawks who hasn't made the playoffs in three years and you bring in all of these extra pieces and the Vezina Trophy winner and your captain is back after taking a year off for health reasons and you get all these extra additions and you start the season 0-3-1 and, 
and every single game within those 0-3 and one record, you're going out and you know trailing behind three nothing, four nothing early. Then yes, it's a cause for concern. So I'm not quite there with the Avalanche yet. There's a lot of pressure on a lot of guys, and Darcy Kemper is one of those guys. On top of the fact that he's going from a team that's playing with house money to a team where there is actual expectations which is something we've talked about in the past. There's also the fact, again, the Olympic conversation. Carey Price has taken a a leave of absence from the Montreal Canadiens. He's dealing with some personal health issues. Marc-Andre Fleury is the starting goalie of that Blackhawks team that's playing terrible. Carter Hart was like the next big thing for Team Canada or for Canadian Olympics and Canadian hockey, and he hasn't looked good in the last couple of years. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood was another one of those young guys that are jumping up, and I think he's finally getting vaccinated if he hasn't decided that he's already going to do it, and that's a big issue for the Olympics. And then you got Jordan Bennington, who you know isn't my favorite goalie, but is actually playing pretty well. So there's a lot of eyes on Darcy Kemper like, hey, dude, you're playing for the team that just won the President's Trophy. You got traded from an Arizona Coyotes team that sucks to an Avalanche team that could win it all. You are you. We need you to be good. And if you have a strong October, November and December, you may just be the starting goalie for Team Canada because Marc-Andre Fleury and Carey Price don't look like they're going to do it right now. Who's it going to be? It's going to be between him and Bennington if, if Binner keeps playing the way he's playing. So give it more than three games. That's all I'm saying. I'm not there yet. This is kind of the same route we went last season in in January, and I'm just not there yet. If we wait till Sunday and the Avalanche lose two more games, let's talk. I'm just not there yet. That's kind of where I was going to go next because they sure have their work cut out for them the next five games. I mean, there's a chance they don't get that third win that you were talking about until the first week of November when they get, luckily, they get the Columbus Blue Jackets in back-to-back games. But the next five games are Florida, Tampa Bay, Vegas, St. Louis, Minnesota, in that order. And every single one of those teams didn't have as many points as the Avalanche in the regular season last year. And every single one of those teams don't have the kind of odds that the Avalanche do to win the Stanley Cup. So if you're the Blackhawks trying to come back from a whatever rebuild retool you want to call it, and you got five teams ahead of you that look like that, yeah, you're worried. But if you're the Avalanche, those five teams are in your echelon of play. You are as good as those five teams. You're not climbing upwards. You're right there with those teams. You should beat the Minnesota Wild. You demolished them in the regular season last year. You should beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. You should beat the Vegas Golden Knights. You kind of look taken aback because I just said they should beat the... I mean, obviously, this is a podcast. People can't see it, but you look a little surprised. I said they should beat Tampa Bay. They absolutely should beat Tampa Bay. The Red Wings put six goals on them. Why can't the Avs? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of uh, another thing, right? Is a lot of really strong teams are also coming kind of slow out the gate. So... Yeah, you don't see them pushing the panic button either. I'm not panicking by any means. I'm just simply trying to say what I see and have you react to it. I'm not being negative towards the team. And we all see it. The The Avalanche suck right now, but, but they're a good team. And if there's any, I mean, they again, they were 3-3 three and three last year by going 2-2 two and two against LA and Anaheim early on in the season. So if you were losing two out of four games to bad teams, then maybe you can win two out of four games to good teams this year. Like it's the, the, the level of competition doesn't really matter right now. It's about getting your game under you and getting your, 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 your game going just in general. And, and that's something they can do no matter who they play. Well, let's get off the negative train and talk about something positive. And I think we can all agree that we've enjoyed seeing the uh, Helm O'Connor Jost line. It was a little breath of fresh air last night. And O'Connor, you know, ever since the start of the season, I think he's had it going. So he was kind of the key cog in that play uh, of their, that when that line scored. But um, yeah, just making a smart little play. But I like what those three are doing together overall. 
Yeah, Jost didn't have the best game in the world against the Capitals uh, on Tuesday, but he's had a pretty good season. I mean, he's he's already got a goal. He's playing 20 minutes a game. He had that goal that was waved off with the kick, obviously. He's been, he's been pretty good. Logan O'Connor didn't get a point until that assist on the Darren Helm goal. That doesn't take away from the fact that we, you know, we pumped his tires last episode, and that was after two games with zero points. He's just been so much fun to watch. And then there is the third guy, the line, Darren Helm, who is a little bit older, but he's got some speed to him. And and it kind of feels like he's like 10 years younger than Pierre Edward Belmar, even though they're around the same age and they play the same role, fourth line center, making one million dollars, which is what Belly got in Tampa Bay, which we're gonna see on Saturday. So Darren Helm has been really fun too. The problem is right now with all the guys missing, that's your third line. If you go into the playoffs with that being your fourth line, you're looking pretty good because you bring out that line. They got a lot of energy. They're going to be really, really tough for the opposition. And then they're going to pin you in your own zone. And then you're going to get that face off, bring out Nathan McKinnon's line. Boom. You got a goal. You got a lead. So shout out to those guys. I know I'm thinking 79 day, you know, games ahead of the ahead of schedule. We're still a long way from the playoffs, but that is a fun line. I'm loving what Darren Helm's doing. Logan O'Connor's taking a massive step. I think we're about two or three months away, if not sooner, from having a conversation about having OC on that top PP unit instead of JT Comfort, who, by the way, has two goals and two assists in four games. Like he's doing well himself. Yeah. I mean, he had that solo effort on the penalty kill, right, against Washington. Uh what I'm really liking about that Helm O'Connor Jost line is they're fixing an issue that I've kind of been complaining about for about three or four seasons, and that's the forward presence around and in front of the net. Uh, I just see I see Jost, I see Helm, I see O'Connor around the net, close, looking for rebounds. I mean, that's kind of almost how Jost scored the one that got waved back, and I love to see it. I've always said that they they try too hard to generate shots from the perimeters, and they're not getting the presence in front. Well, those three are putting themselves in front of the net, and I love it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I have no complaints with the game they're playing. Uh, I think Logan O'Connor is only going to get better from here, and to have him locked up at the deal the Avs sign him for is a big big check mark for Joe Sackick in terms of the the work he needs to do over the next few years, especially at the number he's signed in for at 1.05. So I'm really happy with that line. I'm really happy with their play. Uh, We have to talk about something positive, um, but we didn't need to force it this time. This was actually something that was worth talking about. Those three guys are playing damn well. Absolutely. And then another thing I wanted to talk about that was positive was the ESPN Plus broadcast, right? Right when the Washington Capitals scored their third goal to make it 3-2, to two, there was about a minute, maybe two minutes, where the broadcasters just stopped talking, and they just let the sounds of the game play. Oh, man, I love yeah, that. That, that needs cool. to be a feature. That was so cool. The camera angles and everything, and you got to hear the oohs and the ahs of the fans and then the goal and whatever, and they're like, all right, I guess we'll jump back in. But they straight up were like, yeah, we're, we're just going to let the game of hockey take over and and... That was so cool. I loved that. Uh, I was kind of lost in the moment, and then I saw the puck go past Kemper, and I was like, "Ah, oh, sh- oh wait, fuck! That's the other team score. Damn it!" Yeah. <laughs> like it was. And then you had the broadcaster and a goal there by Washington, and you're just like, "Oh God, that's why I don't like hearing yeah. broadcasters." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was really cool. I thought that was awesome. ESPN has done an excellent job. TNT's here showing the games right now: Philly, Boston, followed by Vegas and the Blues, and I'm just I'm loving every bit of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So here's the time where I take a quick break, guys, to tell you about DraftKings. NFL fans, are you hungry for another big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, 
you win $200 in free bets. Yeah, $200. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win. It's that simple with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, while we were talking about how a lot of good teams are having some slow starts, we're also seeing some pretty mediocre to bad teams having some good starts, namely the Buffalo Sabres. I think the NHL world's got their eyes on what they're thinking, what they're doing right now. And most interestingly, that's rude of you to make fun of my new Stanley Cup favorites. <laughs> Go on. The 3-0 and Buffalo Sabres manned by Craig Anderson in net. Can't believe they went with him, but... I guess that says everything about what they're trying to do this year. But yeah, I think most interestingly in Avsland, we've heard some rumors that the Colorado Avalanche made a call on Jack Eichel. Your thoughts? Yeah, I love how Elliot Friedman just so casually ho-hum just throws in, yeah, the Avalanche uh, made a call on uh, Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres said, no, we're not going to retain any salary. So that's all the call was. It didn't really get to much. But here's the thing that interests me about that. And I know this is kind of a poetic way to go about it, but we just had an entire night uh, dedicated to and commemorating the life of Pierre Lacroix, who had the balls to go after every single freaking big player that came on the market. And Joe Sackick, we've seen him do the exact same thing. I mean, was he not the guy that offered Artemi Panarin four years at a lot of money to basically say, hey, for the next four years while McKinnon's making six, we'll pay you double. That's an offer that came out. Were the Avalanche not in on other big names? I mean, they ended up with Darcy Kemper, but they were in on pretty much every other goalie. I think it was just last episode, if not two ago, you talked about Seth Jones, again, from the American Friedman podcast. So I'm yep. trying to wonder a little bit about their obsession with Joe Sackick and his, you know, uh, tire kicking. Yeah, no, the Seth Jones thing was all but confirmed. They asked Seth if, and I mentioned this on the last time we recorded, they asked Seth if there was any teams in it for one year, looking to get him for one year, and he said yes. And they said, does that team rhyme with Colorado? And he laughed and said, yeah, kind of up that ballpark. Like he straight up confirmed the Avalanche were trying to bring in Seth Jones for one year to completely stack the defense. Like this is something that we know was a thing. So Joe Sackick's always big name hunting. And Jack Eichel, the difference between Jack and someone like Seth is Jack Eichel is a four to five year commitment, kind of like what they were trying to get with Artemi Panarin. Which, by the way, looking back, if they got Panarin, they probably wouldn't have gotten Kadri or Burakovsky. But holy shit, they would have had Artemi Panarin. Like, who cares? <laughs> if the guy could score as many goals as he scored playing with Ryan Strom, playing with JT Comfer on the second line, and he'll score just as much. Like, I'm completely fine with that. But with Jack Eichel, it is very interesting because, you know, the way you look at it, when you look at the Avalanche's salary structure, like... If you can get Buffalo to retain, and obviously they've talked about not wanting to retain, but if you can get Buffalo to retain a couple million and you get them at $8 million, it's doable. As crazy as that sounds, I know Nathan McKinnon's money is about to double, so he's going to take Eric Johnson's entire $6 million and add it to his number. But you also have Kadri making 4.5 and Berkey making 
that, you know, you're going to replace Kadri at four and a half. Let's say you get Eichel at eight and a half. You're going to replace Kadri's four and a half with an eight and a half million dollar second line center. So then Berkey's number is going to go down. Not Berkey, the guy that replaces him because Burkowski's not taking a $2 million pay cut. Or you can bring in Burkowski and get rid of somebody like JT Comfer making 3.75 or 3.5 on the third line. You can get rid of somebody like Tyson Jost making 2 million and replace them with guys like Sampo Ranta or uh, Martin Cowd or Mikhail Maltsev or whoever else for a million. Darren Helm, hell, someone like that. So there is a lot of things that could happen for the Avalanche. And uh, there's also the fact that Bowen Byram is coming into his own and maybe the Avalanche decide, hey, we don't need Samuel Gerrard anymore. And that's $5 million we can get rid of because we have Bowen Byram and we have Justin Barron coming in and we still have Devon Taves and Kel McCart. Like that's a pretty good top four. And then we're going to have Eric Johnson making pennies on the dollar because you know he's going to want to play on the third pair and finish his career with the Avs. So there's a lot of things that could happen for the Avalanche to make it work with Jack Eichel. And I'm here for it, man. I don't know what it's going to cost. If it if it includes Alex Newhook, it is what it is. That's totally fine by me. If I'm the Avalanche, I don't want to trade Bowen Byram, nor do I think they will. But if it's someone like Newhook plus draft picks, et cetera, et cetera, and probably Nazem Kadri to make the money work, or maybe even Sam Gerrard from the onset, uh, that's fine. The only problem is Jack Eichel, when he does get traded, needs about two and a half to three months before he plays. So you might want to trade new hook and futures rather than trading someone like Kadri or someone like Gerard, because then you're going to lose that piece from your lineup. That's exactly where I was going to go with that, Arif, because obviously when you hear that rumor, that's exactly where my head goes is, okay, well, obviously he has a plan in place. He's got people he needs to move to make that happen. And they're so close against the salary cap. It's got to be a handful of guys, but you can't bring in a guy like Eichel to replace anyone right it's to help strengthen what you already have so you don't want to take out a guy like Kadri you don't want to take out a guy like Burakovsky you want to insert Eichel to those names to help bolster the lineup so it'd have to be someone more of the new hook and and, you know I'd be fine with even a Gerard because Gerard you know while he is a big piece of this team you have replacements for him where you're not so fortunate on the front end so um yeah I liked your analysis I thought we were gonna have to turn this into a little bit longer of a conversation but no I'm I'm 100% with that but you know it also doesn't seem to be a move that you have to make because I'm not sure it makes much sense to really give up you know, the whole prospect list just for a guy who's not even ready. I don't know, man. To, to trade new hook, two first-round draft picks even. I know you just traded one for Darcy, but to trade Alex Newhook, two first-rounders, uh, even Sean Barron's, the, the prospect in DU who's having a hell of a start to his college career, uh, throw in... I don't know, Kadri or Comfer, whichever one of those centermen that Buffalo wants to take. I would assume Comfer, not because I want Kadri to stay, but because that's a guy that Buffalo knows and trusts. And he's got at least another year on his deal so he can give them some value. Nazem Kadri wouldn't be as good of a value pickup at a deadline because it's just a rental piece. You'll get like a second for him. So there's a lot of things Sackett can do to bring in Eichel, to throw him on LTIR to bring him in in the playoffs and then worry about the salary cap in the playoffs, kind of like that, uh, or in the offseason, kind of like that Nikita Kucherov set up with the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. The only problem is if you're trading for Jack Eichel now, he wants to get healthy ASAP, get the surgery and get all that done over the next 15 weeks because he wants to represent Team USA at the Olympics. But then if he plays for Team USA and then you want to bring him on board and you don't have the cap space to do it, then you're going to end up like Vegas last year where some games you're playing 17 skaters because you don't have the cap space or... 
The third option, which again, Joe Sackick, I guarantee you, is smart enough with Chris McFarlane and his team to have all of this stuff laid out for why they even made a call on somebody who signed for another four years after this one at $10 million a year. You trade a bunch of futures for Jack Eichel. You bring him in. You let him get the surgery. You let him recover. You let him play at the Olympics. And then come February or March, you sell off what you need to sell off to be able to call up Jack Eichel, take him off of LTIR. Does that mean you have to trade, let's say... Uh, Nazem Kadri and JT Comfer, you trade them at the deadline. Someone will pick them up. As much as people are going to sit there and think, oh, no one's going to help the Avalanche, someone's going to trade for Kadri and someone's going to trade for Comfer. You've cleared up the cap space. You insert Jack Eichel into your roster. Boom, you're ready to go. Like there's a lot of ways to go about it. I'm not saying the Avalanche are going to be the one to get him, nor am I saying they're going to be the ones close. Obviously, you still need Buffalo to retain something or insert another team to retain. But the fact that Joe Sackick is even in on that, just like he was his, he was in on Panarin, just like he was in on Seth Jones, and those two were confirmed, uh, it just says to me that, you know, this team could be entirely different by the time the Avalanche win the Cup. It just says to me that Joe Sackick is loyal to his top guys, is loyal to the guys that can make it work. But if he needs to shake things up, he will. And we've talked a lot about the fact that the entire second line and both your goalies are pending UFAs. This could be an entirely different team if the Avalanche don't get it done this year. Yeah, it also sends the message because we know that Jack Eichel's more of a long-term play. Exactly. I think it sends the message that Joe Sackick's ready to move on from Kadri here because you need a 2C, right? And if you're trying to already bring in Eichel to be that 2C down the road, meaning second center. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is fine. Nazem Kadri's a Nazem Kadri's a pending UFA. That's totally fine. So it's it, it it says to me that you know rather than signing a 32 year old Kadri for whatever he's going to be demanding, maybe six, maybe six and a half, maybe even seven, you're looking to bring in a young guy like Jack Eichel, who by the way is like a top freaking five player in the NHL when he's healthy. Like this isn't just some random schmo. When he's healthy, though, let's see. Which he will if be. he. If he ever gets back to 100%. But that's the thing, like we've been saying. We still haven't even seen this team with a full lineup. Who knows? Maybe come trade deadline, they don't even want to make a move because they're so hot, right? So you don't want to tamper with anything like that. So let's let's give it a couple weeks. Let's see the full lineup. And before we start speculating on trades and who needs to leave and who needs to never come back, um, you know, let's let's see what they can do here. Let's give them a week or a couple weeks. A month is what I meant to say. Here's a question that I always have that's going to be a conversation that down the line, JJ, we're going to be having a longer conversation about this. It's not for this year. It's not for this point in time. But the Avalanche got Bowen Byram from that draft pick from the Ottawa Senators. The Ottawa Senators were the very last team that year. Who was drafted first overall? Jack Hughes. The Avalanche dropped from first to fourth. They lost all three lotteries. Remember that for the second time? And they got Bo Byram. So... If you're the Avs right now, do you wish you had Jack Hughes or Bo Byram? And mm-hmm. then there's an even bigger part to that. And this is where the salary kind of doesn't really shake out. And it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. The Avs got Bo. The Avalanche had an opportunity to get Ottawa's pick from 2019. Or sorry, from 2018. The Sens had a top four protected pick or something like that, where if it was like a top four, top five pick, they can choose to push it to the next year. Well, the Sens, even knowing that they were going into the next season probably going to be the worst team, they still chose to take that 2018 pick instead of giving it to the Avalanche and just ripping off the Band-Aid. That 2018 fourth overall pick turned into Brady Kachuk. 
second-line left-winger, which is a little bit of a question mark on the Avalanche's roster right now. And last year, they had to trade for one. So it's not a conversation to have now, but the Avs got Bowen Byram, and he's going to be a big player. He's had a hell of a start to the season. Hell, he might even win the Calder Trophy. But they could have had either Brady Kachuk or Jack Hughes, and that's going to be a fun conversation to have in the future because those are two very big names that the Avs could have had and ended up with a third big name in Bowen Byram. Right. It's not like the Kale McCarr draft where, hands down, you know Kale McCarr was the best of those top picks, right? Those were a little bit more complex. Yeah, there's there's just a lot there, and and uh, I think what this says to me is the Avalanche are obviously not ready to commit, and I mean I don't blame them, but they're not ready to commit to say that Alex Newhook is going to be ready next year to be the number two center for this team. They need somebody else to do that, and that doesn't mean that Newhook is a bust. The kid is frigging 19, 20 years old. Like he shouldn't be put into a situation like that. But you know, this isn't 2010 where you have Duchesne and O'Reilly coming into a team that's playing with house money. This is a team that needs to win the Stanley Cup. You don't put a new hook into that position if he's not completely ready to go. Like this is Jack Hughes' third season in the NHL, and he's finally having a bit of a breakout. So that's not something that you want to do to Alex Newhook. And that says to me that Joe Sackick knows that and knows he needs to stack his roster just a little bit more to bring in the right guys to win. And the coolest thing about that is going into next summer, dude, there is a lot of UFAs. Like Evgeny Malkin, I know he's had some injury issues. He's a UFA. Claude Giroux, who plays center or wing, he's going to be a UFA as well. Uh, Thomas Hurdle, UFA. Philip Forsberg, UFA. Like there is a lot of big names. Joe Pavelski, UFA. There's a lot of big names that are going to be available on the market. So this team could look very different next year, whether it's center, wing, something in that top six could change and it could change a lot, whether it's Jack Eichel or not. Yeah, it's kind of wild how that's been a trend in the NHL the last couple years, right? I think three years ago, I refound my love for collecting hockey cards. And just recently, I bought a new pack. So I was taking my new pack and sliding them into my little sleeves. Meanwhile, going through some of the cards I've gotten in the last couple years. And it's crazy to see how some of these big names are on have been on two or three different teams since I got their card, right? So you're seeing that little shuffling, especially with goaltenders across the NHL. So, um, yeah, you can easily anticipate that happening in the near future. And and with these big names that you're mentioning coming up this offseason, you know, why not land one in, in Colorado? Yeah, and guys like Giroux and Malkin, they've been on their teams for what seems like forever. Joe Pavelski obviously jumped around after San Jose to Dallas, and uh, Philip Forsberg is a lifer in Nashville. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is a lifer with his team with the San Jose Sharks. So a lot of guys, man, a lot of guys. Dustin Brown, he's older, but he's going to be a UFA as well. Like there's a lot of dudes the ass could bring in, even Andre Palat. So I know this kind of just turned into an off-season style episode talking about UFAs and trades and things like that. But the Jack Eichel rumor says to me that Joe Sackick is always thinking about the next move. And when we had... Brandon Saad brought into the Avalanche last year, and we saw Don Squay playing on your third line and Comfort playing on your fourth line and all that. We thought, wow, this is the deepest the Avalanche have been. And suddenly, boom, all of that has changed. Everything has changed, and Joe is saying, I can change it all again. Yeah, absolutely. So as we look ahead to Florida and Tampa Bay, the Avalanche had the day off today as they got to rest in Fort Lauderdale before they game tomorrow. Um I guess, what do you think? Not a bad place to be. What, right. What do you think about that, though? Do you think it's uh, it's time for them to get a day off? Is is maybe that going to shake things up in their mind and they come out a little bit stronger than we've seen in the past couple of day- games? 
Nothing wrong with a day off. I I'm not a I'm I'm not that old hockey mind where it's like you played bad for three days in a row. You don't deserve to get a day off to play with your Nintendo DS. No, like I'm not gonna sit there and pull that kind of game on the players. Uh, Dang, because I'm of that mindset. No, I. Hey, you skate them today. No pucks. <laughs> I I don't know. No, I think these are hockey players. They're <laughs> professionals. This is a good team. These are players that know what they need to do, and these aren't players that are going out playing shitty games and then screwing around. Like Nathan McKinnon is still Nathan McKinnon. He's still having his chick pee pasta. He's still not going to the bars. He's still <laughs> doing his Nathan McKinnon thing. Um, these are guys that if they were scheduled to have this day off because they were going to travel let them have the day off. Gabe Landeskog's coming back. Every single one of them is sitting in their hotel room thinking about this. It's not like they're sitting there. Nathan McKinnon is playing Call of Duty, streaming on whatever the hell it is, Twitch, and uh, talking to people about how much fun he's having. No, the dude was minus five in his debut, and we saw how frustrated he was. You know he was sitting on the airplane the whole time just grinding his teeth like, get one from damn chickpea <laughs> pasta because I am mad right now. Like, this is not the time to to go hard on them. Not this early. Yeah, well, last podcast I said that in this three-game road trip, if they could just find a way to steal one game, I'd be happy. Well, they got two opportunities left, so let's see how they do. And uh, yeah, my money's on the Tampa Bay game, isn't it? You're you're wrong. They're they're not stealing anything. These are all three teams that they are very well capable of beating. And and if they win one or even two of them, which is still a possibility, much deserved. Not a stolen game. Just the Avalanche doing the Avalanche thing. Yeah, I mean, if they play anything like last game, it, they're going to have to steal it. But I get where you're coming from. Yeah, maybe let's not have to pull the goalie with five minutes left, <laughs> down three goals, and score a bunch of times. They have three goals with the goalie pulled, and they've let in two empty netters. That's a plus one rating. That's pretty good three games into the season. Problem is, you don't want to have to have your goalie pulled that much three games into the season. Do you think people would like hockey more? I mean, obviously, there's... A huge following and we love the game and all of our listeners love the game but we know that the layman's fans they don't love hockey because there's not enough scoring do you think people would like it more if it was empty nets the whole time oh we just went down a rabbit hole that i'm not willing to go down <laughs> uh, yeah obviously it's just a weird hypothetical but i'm like how do you increase scoring to to make it more i guess for the nfl and nba fans and that's that's the way to do it i only think about this because i have friends who aren't hockey fans at all. And that's their, that's maybe, their biggest reason for maybe it. Maybe let's just, let's make the nets bigger. Talk about the goalie pads. This dude just took the goalie and told him to take a hike. Like <laughs> take, the, take the goalies out, put in a three point line. Maybe more people will like it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I think we're done here. We're, we're our midweek episode is well overdue. Absolutely. So yeah, I guess uh, that being said, you know, reach out to us on Twitter for anything you want. Let's chat. I'm here for you guys. And of course, I still got a couple calendars left over and the mail got true man of the people. The mail got them out so fast. People are already telling me how they got uh, their calendars. So I'm waiting to hear one of the international people to let me know that they got theirs mm -hmm. because that, those were a little bit more of a hurdle. But man, they were cheap to get out. So don't feel bad. I've got plenty. Let me know. And other than that, Arif, closing thoughts for the day. Closing thoughts is the avalanche have looked terrible. It's only going to go up from here, right? It has to. It has to, or else this podcast is closing its doors. Uh, that's all we have for you today. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, as always. Don't forget to check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Say what's up to Patrick Sedman on Twitter if you're bored. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.